The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My guest today is Gary Brockman. Gary is the newly appointed CEO at Second Mind, based out of Cambridge, England, and Second Mind funded to the tune of $51 million by the likes of uh, Amadeus, Atlantic Bridge, and Passion Capital, have developed a cloud-based SaaS solution that uh, helps companies achieve sustainability through machine learning. So Gary, congratulations on your new role and welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thanks for having me, Gary, and thanks for the congratulatory note. But you can, you can congratulate me once, we, uh, once we're able to achieve Success. How's that? I'll definitely do that. It'll be a second round of congratulations from me. So, when did you first get involved in the world of AI and uh, machine learning? I got involved and learned about it indirectly. I wasn't seeking it out. And it was back when I was doing, I was in the digital music business at a company called Music Match, which I think they came about in around 1996. And their value proposition was to help people rip their CDs and create MP3s with desktop software. And the enterprise ended up getting sold to Yahoo for $160 million in 2004. They had this very unique collaborative filtering mechanism and algorithm that delivered fantastic music recommendations that were based on implicit behavior, not checks, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down or stars or likes or anything like that. We promised great music recommendations to listeners and consumers in exchange for allowing us to just observe their behaviors, like what they actually listened to, what they skipped through. The end result was really deep music recommendations that transcended genre and era and all the standard ways that you would bucket music. And that, that was my first interaction of what you know, algorithms that are kind of machine learning in nature could do to improve an experience that was manual. And for me, my influencers were human beings, not an algorithm. So that was my first interaction. And then fast forward to 2014, I had an opportunity to jump into the deep end of the deep learning pool at uh, Qualcomm. I pivoted from music and at the time, Wi-Fi audio into deep learning and shepherded hardware and software from corporate R&D into the commercial side of Qualcomm to enable Snapdragon chipsets and Snapdragon processors are the dominant processor in Android phones to have deep learning algorithms, deep neural networks run on on device, no cloud necessary. So that's when I actually took the stuff from the past, tied it back to the future. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, Second Mind generates accurate predictions from really low volumes of data, irrespective of what data scientists call noise in the signal. So how does Second Mind do this? What's unique? about your approach? If you were to capture it in three buckets, the, the number one is we focused on Gaussian process modeling. And Gaussian process for us has been the, kind of the cornerstone of, of the business. We have the biggest luminary in the space, Carl Rasmussen, who's our chief science officer and co-chairman. What we've been able to do with Gaussian process and probabilistic modeling is just what you said, whether it's the data set is large or small, we've been able to find, you know develop high accuracy 
models uh, as a result of what we have found. And when you get to large data sets where you're dealing with sparsity, we were able to find the, the signal and the noise, if you will, in addition to quantifying uncertainty, like where should you not go for sure? Not a guess, but more of a direct, direct recommendation on where you should make the prediction or where the prediction puts you versus where you should stay, where the boundaries are and that you should stay out of. Probabilistic modeling has been not that overshadowed by deep learning, but deep learning certainly is, and neural networks have been the primary focus of AI over the past seven or eight years, not longer. And probabilistic modeling and other machine learning techniques haven't really been in the spotlight. But you can see companies like GraphCore developing hardware accelerators that actually are designed to help probabilistic modeling computation. And what we see and what we have focused on from day one is practical business problems where probabilistic modeling actually can have a bigger impact with less effort, less data, and still help the business achieve their goals. And we've been at the forefront of optimizing and productizing Gaussian process since the get-go, number one. Then number two, we focused a great deal on Bayesian optimization. And what that allows us to do is identify like areas of exploration and really massive high dimensional data sets without the need to explore the entire data set. So if you have millions of data points in a, in a, in a set, we can actually dial into the right areas of interest, A, to explore, and then B, to model around, all in an effort to find, let's say in the, in the case of um, with the work that we're doing in, in automotive, trying to find the right settings to calibrate an engine. There's dozens of parameters and constraints that really lead to limitless configurations. And we're help, we can help strip, strip that down to just the data that's needed to find the right settings based on the parameters that, were, that are put in front of us. And this is all based on Gaussian process modeling accuracy at the core. And in the world of automotive there, and other, other markets, there's a process called design of experiments, which is typically a, an arduous manual approach to just experimenting to find the right settings that you're looking for. The way that we've applied Bayesian optimization actually automates the process of data capture as well as the modeling so that somebody that's doing these experiments can spend more time focusing on higher value stuff. So that's number two. Number one, state-of-the-art Gaussian process. Number two, Bayesian optimization. And number three, something that I, I, we don't see many people talk about in this space, which is user experience. I think the trust factor with deep learning or AI still it's probably depending on who you talk to, it's either improving or it's flat, or in some cases, people still don't trust it because they don't understand it. We put a premium on usability in everything that we've done. That could be in documentation, it could be in a UI, but for us, it's about making sure that trust and ease of use are top priority. You can have the best machine learning technology that, that solves the problem, but it'll fall flat if it's not easily understood, trusted, or easy to use. That would be the third anchor or the third tenant in the strategy is user experience. Uh, it's an area where we think there's quite a bit of value that we deliver. Cool. Now, you're currently focusing on the automotive sector. Why did you choose to prioritize that vertical when there are so many other sectors that could potentially benefit from your technology? That's a really good question. We've spent, now we're five and a half years old, and we've spent the past actually spent the first five years doing a great deal of exploration in a number of markets, supply chain and finance and 
online gaming and fraud detection and a, a variety of different applications for the tech. And what we determined at the beginning of this year was after all this exploration and all the application that we could see working or not working, where we saw the most impact, the demonstrable impact was the application of Bayesian optimization and, and Gaussian process to the, the engine calibration problem that we were solving, solving in automotive uh, and Mazda being our lead customer. So we decided to, to double down on that. We felt it was the best fit for the tech, the complexity of the challenge in production. It just made the most sense. And the industry is actually dealing with, as I think everybody knows, quite a bit of scrutiny, a whole lot of complexity with regulatory pressure and production processes that are, let's say, out of date for the times. And then customer expectations that have gone from things like luxury or performance to now include a need for lower emissions in the cars that they purchase. And so we saw an opportunity to help the industry since we had chose that spot, help them accelerate the transition that they're going through to get to what is a greener world of mobility and optimize some of the core processes like engine calibration, which A, are the number most complex and are still the, the areas where optimization will help minimize emissions and also improve fuel economy. If you look across, like from here till 2035, is a, just a, and that's a brief period of time, there are dozens of configurations of hybrid vehicles and battery electric vehicles that each of the car manufacturers are gonna to have to manage over this time with the added pressure of, of regulatory. And there's tons of opportunity to help the industry optimize the processes in the powertrain, as well as other processes are going on in and outside of the car. I think you mentioned at the top of the, of the queue, our vision at the end of the day is to help companies and industries that need it most achieve sustainability through machine learning. It's what we do well. We think the application of it is, is critical to sustainability. And in the world of automotive, we've made it our mission to help automotive innovators, which are really the engineers, design cleaner cars, in less time and ultimately achieve their sustainability goals. Yeah, that's probably the best way to capture that. And how much more can you share with me about your engagement with Mazda, how you got involved in them? Are you working with them in Europe or in Japan or both? And, and how's that feeding into their future products? So Mazda, Mazda is a little bit, and I think we find this with other customers, the depth of the the, the depth of the work that we do with our customers is typically kept in the background. We don't really disclose a lot of things that could be considered competitive. But what I can tell you is that Mazda came to us a few years back with a need to improve some of the, the processes they had around the, the calibration of their engines. And they were very familiar with Gaussian process. They were trying to actually operationalize and productize GPs, but it's, it's an area that's still, still growing and it's nascent, but we have we've been at the center of that. So there was a technology connection, if you will, that led us down this path. So philosophically, we're aligned around the type of problem. We see the same potential in the technology, and they have the most complex engine on the, on the market. And they're also a fuel efficiency leader. So precision for them was, and still is, quite, quite important. At the end of the day, the remit, if you will, is to optimize the powertrain, specifically the engine ECU calibration process, first and foremost, to reduce time in that process to get to get products to market faster. No specific data to share today. We hope to have some to share in a couple of months. 
And this is leading to or can lead to a number of other applications inside of the car and out. We see outside of the Mazda specific relationship, we see a ton of opportunity to apply our machine learning to high complexity, high value applications in and around the car where you know, the reduction of time and the, 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 the conservation of resources in that production process are desperately needed. Calibration of other ECUs, virtualization of parts and processes, adjacent markets like energy that are connected, all where optimization can lead to you know, meaningful impact and sustainability. These are the areas that we're exploring. And the starting point with Mazda is kind of the, the, the stepping stone or the foundation of that. So perhaps in uh, two or three years' time, we'll see the Second Mind logo plastered over some of those Formula One drivers' helmets or, or even on the cars. It's so funny you bring that up. We, we had an opportunity to do so. We're not quite ready for that. Money better spent to, to make sure that we can develop our stuff faster, but you never know. Maybe on a Formula E car. How's that? Okay. Well, I look forward to joining you in a Silverstone paddock in 2022 or 2023. <laughs> How would you describe Second Mind's culture and how's that evolving, especially you being a first-time CEO, now you're at the helm. How is that evolving with, uh, with you as the CEO? I've been with the company for two years and I started off as VP of product and I'm a known commodity to some degree, but also I've had to reacquaint myself with folks because most of the, most of the interaction has been virtual. I was, I was literally in the office for three or four months and then, and then, and everything went, uh, everything went sideways or pear shaped. Surprisingly, we've actually done a whole lot. Productivity's been high, a little bit of Zoom fatigue, but overall, I think we've been we've been very fortunate. We did go through a pretty tough time at the beginning of the year in a process to try to you know, reevaluate where we are and then double down on automotive. But where we are today, particularly with my kind of taking the helm, if you will. We've certainly evolved the company from being what it was, was very academic-centric, academic research-centric, and we have shifted to being more commercial in our approach. You can see evidence of that daily. You know, the new mission and vision that I articulated is, is relatively, it's a new coat of paint within the past couple of weeks. Mission and vision were something that weren't really clear or understood by the staff previously, and my goal is to create a greater sense of focus and purpose for what we're doing today and where we're going. And where we are and on the sustainability road is one that the staff is fully bought into. They see the potential. They know that where we are today is important and the work that we're doing is important and that there's more opportunity beyond that. We're organizing more squarely around our customer and delivering customer value as efficiently as possible, focusing on operation efficiency or operational efficiency, performance, you know, being faster, more nimble, an emphasis on quality. I'm very big on being biased for action. In a startup, you really, you die on the vine if you're not, but failing fast and, and encouraging healthy friction so that we can create very interesting and exceptional things, ultimately creating a foundation for a more sustainable business. I think that that probably caps it. And when the world opens back up and we can interact more, you know, we want to have a lot of fun together. You know, we want to work hard, play hard. So. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good growth, a lot more to come. Going forward, are you looking for people who are mission-driven like you and the, and the company is, or is that not so high up in the requirements when you're, when you're considering potential employees? 
I think you have to be. I think in this day and age, and I'd say more purpose-driven, being bottom line focused and transactional focused and achieving business success, having a sense of purpose binds individuals together around a common cause and a cause that's greater than them. And, and I think attracting the right people, attracting the right customers, that's where I do think that that's a benefit. I think having a strong sense of purpose attracts success and attracts the right people that want to achieve the same thing. And you mentioned a few moments ago about having been academic research centric historically, and you have this strong academic legacy exemplified by Second Mind Labs. So where does Second Mind Labs fit into the structure of the organization and how do the labs add value to your commercial activities? Second Mind Labs is an integral part of the organization. When I joined, research was one step removed is probably the best way to put it. There wasn't a tight alignment between research and the rest of the organization, which was, I would say, a miss or a gap. But I think it was just really the way things had started. And you have individuals with different perspectives. An academic perspective is quite different than a commercial perspective. And as the company evolved to be more commercial and product-centric, it was essential that we bind all groups together and that we don't look at research or the machine learning group or the software development group it's all one one group. I mean, we're one team. And the most efficient way and the best way to scale is for all of this to be a continuum from the early stage, you know, very foundational, nascent research, being able to ter- apply that, operationalize that research and the knowledge among the, the, the machine learning developers and the software developers uh, and being able to deliver I guess I'll call it magic. I mean, second line, second line labs is where the magic and machine learning magic happens. How do you take that magic and make it real and accessible to the customer and do that as efficiently as possible? And without the without Second Mind Labs, I think we would be certainly be struggling. We've seen value in early stage engagements from an applied research standpoint, as well as commercial delivery. The team actually, members of the research team are sitting with the, the development and account team with commercial engagement. So it's it's all integral. We're all a fairly tight-knit group these days, and our talent in Gaussian process has also been a, in research, Gaussian process and research realm has also been a draw for customers like Mazda, where they understand the technology and they understand the brain power that we're bringing to the table. When you use phrases, some of those data science phrases about Gaussian processes, et cetera, do you find that most of your target audience resonates with that or sometimes is it almost too sci-fi, too techie for for people and you have to find a different way of getting the messaging across? It really depends. When we were in a, we were focused on supply chain as an example, the actual underlying technology mattered less than the the, the end result of the problem. What is the impact? And we shouldn't have to be able to explain. We shouldn't have to explain what the tools are to those that really do. They just want to know whether it works or not. In this world, in the the engine calibration and the engineering world in automotive, the terminology is understood. In fact, GPs have been used beyond what we've done. We've just taken them to a completely different level. So we're not speaking another language, but we abstract it as much as we can. Going back to the the comment I made about uh, user experience being a priority. User experience is as much about the workflow 
or the interactive design or the way in which you describe something. And we try to we try to measure and gauge how much we go deep in the technical side and try to up-level as much as we can. So long-winded answer, our direct audience, the ones that use the product, it's not an alien language, but we try to we try to up-level as much as we can elsewhere. And what's your vision for Second Mind? If we were to record a, a sequel in July or August 2025, what's the legacy you'd love to be looking back on? I'll capture it in four ways. I'd say that number one, I want Second Mind to be recognized as a trusted, purpose-driven brand, not just another ML company, a startup that reached a certain status and exited, but a brand that is known for trust, that it's known for having a sense of purpose that drove the business. And that sense of purpose also leads to the second one, which is to have made a significant and, and demonstrable impact on the sustainability of our customers' business or businesses and also the world around us, like being able to tie the work that we do and the the benefits of our technology back to a a real meaningful impact. We also want us to be recognized and as an an example of a sustainable zero or maybe even carbon neutral business. Eating one's own dog food is is quite quite a thing to do. And if you do it well, it's going to make your products and what you do for your customers even better. And last, but this is probably not least, is those who've invested the time of their life, the team members that are with us now and with us then, to feel as though the investment they've made in the company has paid off manyfold, whether it's financially or emotionally or the personal achievement that they derived from their daily work well beyond the grind that is a startup and have forged relationships with people that they'll know for the rest of their lives because they all had a common sense of purpose. Cool. That's a lovely vision. Gary, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing with me your purpose-driven ethos and vision. And I look forward to, in fact, I insist upon when you get the invite from Lewis Hamilton to join him in the paddock and meet the team, can you just uh, drag me along as your assistant or in some capacity at least? Yeah, I'll get you in and a plus one. How's that? (laughs) Okay, that's a deal. Cheers, Gary. Very good. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks for the opportunity. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent. 